0: Welcome to episode number 91 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot Universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Inestroza, along with my co-host, Matt Crandall. And on this edition of the show, we'll be talking about Fringe, season two, episodes four through five. The first episode that we're going to talk about this week is the episode entitled Momentum Deferred. It's episode four. So, Matt, I just wanted to ask you a simple question. Do you want to commit a heist where we go and steal a frozen head?
1: I did not think that Fringe was going to start pulling heists for frozen heads when we started this episode. So I do appreciate that this episode takes us in a lot of weird directions. One being frozen head heist which is not something you see every day the other is start this mystery and one of the ways we're going to unlock some of the things about it is we have to revisit a woman that walter clearly has some sort of romantic past with which our dude john noble we have not been revisiting his greatest hits and here we go we've got this woman who he used to know who clearly has a thing still for him and i love that we have realized in this episode that that the shapeshifter is on the loose and that the shapeshifter could be anyone. And when we find some of these leftover shapeshifting machines, we have realized that there is a way to unlock an image of the last person that they shape-shifted into. One of the main through lines of this is going to be Massive Dynamic is trying to figure out who the shapeshifter is now. The other through line is that there are these weird heists happening at a cryogenic facility, and obviously the people who are hitting these facilities are looking for something specific, but they can't quite find where it is. And then the other, the other through line being that Walter revisits this woman that he did experiments on in the past because she was able to see like a glowing shimmer around certain people if they were from the other universe. And they want to use her skill to try and unlock the secrets of this shapeshifter. So I thought that this was a really nice way that finally we are ramping up the tension of will they find out that Charlie is not Charlie anymore? And they throw a ticking clock on there. Also, we see that During this heist, a couple of the shapeshifters' buddies get killed. They start bleeding out liquid metal, Mercury, in like a Terminator 2 T-1000-esque kind of way. We find out not only are they searching for something, but shapeshifter Charlie is on his way out because he is malnourished and he's going to die soon if he doesn't get more mercury. So I like that they add the ticking clock to not only us finding out who the shapeshifter is, but the shapeshifter is about to fail his mission because he's going to die. Marcella, what are you thinking as we're ramping up all of these things without even dipping our toe into the William Bell of it all of this episode?
0: I really enjoyed this episode for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons is what you just said, the shapeshifter who has who killed Charlie previously is running out of time. So he is starting to sweat. He is he's like a heroin addict that doesn't have enough money to buy heroin. Because at one point he goes into a convenience store and he takes a bunch of, you know, I don't know what they are, pens, needles or whatever, and he slams them on the counter and the clerk says, Oh, are you starting your own pharmacy? And the the acting that the actor who plays Charlie Francis does is just phenomenal. He just like just like snorts, and the next thing you see is him in the car breaking the pens into a slusho cup. Break props for the JJ universe, and just you know gulping it down. And then seconds later, he starts convulsing, and then he actually adjusts the the car mirror in his car. And one of his eyes, the skin is like hanging from one of his eyes. A couple of minutes after that, the skin under his eyes go back to normal. So I thought that was a lovely, lovely specific scene. Also, a great thing that we found out about the shape shifters and how their technology works is that those little machines that allow them to, to imprint themselves onto into the body of other people. Each one of those machines is specifically coded to a specific shape shifter. So they can't take uh, pieces of equipment that is not theirs. So if they lose their box that allow them to shift into different bodies, they're up shit's creek. So I really, really like that wrinkle put in by the writers or the writing team of Fringe to narrow this shape shifter's time even, even, you know, That much more, I really appreciated that. But the thing that I loved about this episode and the shining part of it, the thing that I liked about it the most is that for most of the show, we've been really hard on Walter for his experimenting on other people and for him fucking up other people's lives without having any positive effect on the people that he experiments on. But in this episode, like you mentioned, they need somebody to help them find... The enemy shapeshifter or aka find Charlie, and the woman that they find is someone who is actually thankful to Walter for doing those lSD experiments on her years ago. If it wasn't for Walter, she would have never gotten the type of life that she wanted, so I really did like seeing Walter have a positive interaction with one of his patients, which has not been the case
1: uh, so far in Fringe. Yeah, it hasn't been the case at all. So that was really nice where not only was he looking forward to this visit, and I just like when we see them getting ready to go visit her and he's like, you know, adjusting his hair and he's trying to make sure he looks prim and proper. And he's like, oh, Peter, do you think she'll remember me? And he's like, yeah, I'm guessing you're probably the only person who's ever strapped her to a table and pumped her full of psychedelics. So, yeah, I think she's going to remember who you were. And then it isn't a negative thing. She does remember and they clearly were lovers of some kind. And so I just love that. Yeah, most of the people we have seen that Walter has experimented on have been traumatized for life, whether it was actually what Walter did or just the nature of their gifts that Walter was experimenting on. But most of them are messed up beyond repair. So I do like that this lady seems fairly normal. She still has some sort of spark for Walter after all they've been through, which shows us that he wasn't always mad scientist. Sometimes what he was doing maybe didn't have a negative connotation to it. Yes, it's not always bad, the things that Walter Bishop has done in the past. And as you said, making it that the machine is coded to the user for the shapeshifters is interesting so that we know that when they lose their machine, that is much more severe than just losing your wallet because you may end up dying because you're trapped As this body and unless you shift that body starts to decompose or whatever it is and and I thought that was really good as the the main story goes and they are trying to find Charlie the shapeshifter they start doing the experiment on Rebecca to try and get her to to be able to view the other universe halos and in that moment is when of course Olivia has been very frustrated her memory has not come back of what happened when she crossed over and as we're watching Walter start to do his experiment because him and Belle work together of course they probably do the same kind of things And so it is a moment where they ring a literal bell that Olivia collapses because whatever happened in the other universe, William Bell also does this ringing a bell thing. And it's some sort of Pavlovian response that she collapses. And we start to get the backstory of what actually happened with her meeting with William Bell. And Nimoy is back as Bell, which is awesome. It's kind of a thankless scene because it is literally Anatorv being confused for five minutes and all that Nimoy has to do is literally five minute exposition dump. But if you're going to get someone to give us a five minute exposition dump, you might as well get Spock because I'm going to listen and I'm going to care. So when Nimoy shows up in this and Belle starts telling us everything that's happening, and the severity of the situation and the war between universes i care it's a lot to take in in that that run marcelo are you getting overwhelmed as he's laying it all out for us in this one scene where all of this memory is rushing back
0: i was really happy to see william bell properly speak because in this in the finale for season 1 that we talked about was sort of he just sort of said hey i'm spock i'm here I'm going to talk at some point, but he hasn't really had a scene. So this episode is sort of William Bell's sort of allow me to introduce myself sort of scene. And I found Leonard Nimoy's acting capability astounding. And the way that guy could deliver exposition, great. But I did find the scene a little taxing because everything that William Bell said, for the most part, we already knew. He said that these shapeshifters are... You know, half organic and half machine, but neither at the same time. He said that there was something different. That got me intrigued. But but the thing that really piqued my attention is when he said there's a great storm coming. There's a battle coming. And all of the and of all the kids that Walter and I did tests on, you are the most impressive one. So you need to be our floor general. The shining moment of all those uh, herky-jerky edited sort of dream, dream sequence scenes that Olivia was having as her memory was returning to her is I really love it when Annator basically lays everything that has happened in the Fringe universe so far, you know, at Belly's feet. And she really makes him feel it. And I loved that scene. But the button... That William Bell says before Olivia wakes up, you know, out of her dream fever is that a storm is coming. The, the, the greatest storm in human history is coming. So that was like, oh, what the hell is he talking about? And then when she wakes up, Olivia says, I need to speak to Nina Sharp right away. And normally when, you know, Olivia wants to get Nina's attention, she's very like, oh, I'll talk to her later or I'll do this, or I'll do that. But in the process of speaking to William Bell, William Bell gives Olivia a drawing of a guy that the shapeshifters are looking for for a specific reason. And Olivia goes to see Nina, and she says, a storm is coming. So, you know, Olivia and Nina have their meeting, and then Nina goes, Bell only used that word, a storm is coming, in one specific instance and and in that specific instance he posited that if two universes occupied the state the same space only one of them can survive and the the sort of aids that she used were two glows that i thought were really cool so yeah i i love that entire sequence and i didn't really notice uh how much until now
1: yeah and i think that is one of the interesting things that bell gives her a lot of information that we did know he does use that key phrase and he does explain that the head that they're looking for where it is and like with a symbol that would be on it we find out the reason that the shapeshifters are looking for this head is that this individual is something special that will be able to open a hole between the two universes. We've already seen David Robert Jones was trying to open a hole between the two universes. We see that this is a plan that they often have. They're trying to open some sort of, you know, two-way transit between the universes. And in that scene with the snow globes, Nina says our universes have been fine apart. Because they're actually separate. It's not a big deal. We can both exist and everything's fine. But when people start to open up holes between them they actually start to occupy almost the same space as you said and so she says if belly used the term a storm is coming that means that we're already basically beyond the point of no return if these events keep happening then this collision is also going to happen and i do think that that was a very dramatic but easy to understand way for her to demonstrate by smashing the two snow globes together and one of them is perfectly fine and one of them is wrecked which i don't know that would necessarily happen if you smash two snow gloves together but it was a nice visual and it also tied back into this main thing that like you know these shapeshifters the more holes they open the quicker this collision is going to happen we have to find a way to shut this shit down and as you said when olivia first called nina nina was like i don't have time for this crap like no and she's like well i got a message from william bell And that's the record scratch moment where she's like, okay, yeah, I'll take your meeting. All of that is happening at the same time that Olivia knows they are decoding the last image to figure out who the shapeshifter is. So she is waiting for Massive Dynamics server to send like an email to everyone with the picture. When we start to find out that they can even do this is where we get the Massive Dynamic dude, Brandon, who's basically like our Benji or Marshall going forward. So I did like that they can't shy away from those type of lab kind of guys in JJ shows. So I thought that scene where he's like, oh, you're asking me to fix this piece of technology that is unlike anything we have ever seen. And Nina's like, can you do it? And he's like, yeah, no, I can do it. It'll take three hours. So I, I just like that we, we added a familiar kind of character to the mix. Um, if you have watched the other shows that we have talked about, this archetype nerdy tech guy, uh, I recognize that right away. I'm like, okay, here we go. This guy is probably going to be around a lot more than he has previous if we're seeing this scene. And while she's having that talk with Nina, she gets the message from Charlie because Charlie figured out that they were very close to outing him. So he sends a message to Liv and says, Nina is the shapeshifter. Get the fuck out of there. Marcelo, but what are you thinking when Dunham falls for this hook, line, and
0: sinker? I was like, oh man, she better be careful. She's gonna die. But I was like, oh my God, Olivia is gonna get her ass kicked Um, in this juncture. And I really love that as, you know, the shapeshifter and- Oliver walking down the, uh, the the dark aisle, which, you know, she actually, for some reason, massive dynamics technology can, can work perfectly on a BlackBerry. But I'm like, there's no way that this technology can work on a fucking mobile device like a BlackBerry. So on that instance, I'm calling bullshit. But it was extremely effective to see Olivia, you know, you know, get the scan on her phone and then look up and then the next scene that we see is her body being thrown up against the wall, and I love the direction of the scene because at every at every turn you think, "Oh crap, Olive is you know Olivia's dead." There, there's there's no way that Olivia can physically overpower the shape So You're like, what "The hell's gonna come along to save her?" And it turns out that it's one good Samaritan that distracts the shapeshifter long enough for olive to get her gun and shoot the shapeshifter several times but the great thing about that while olivia's shooting him the director focuses in on the shapeshifter's face that obviously has charlie's face and you just see him coming and coming and coming it's, he's like the t-1000 you know but he's not but he's not coming like you know in a strong force But he just keeps coming. So it's like he's walking into the bullet. And then, you know, Olivia finally punches his ticket, punches his ticket with a headshot. And it's just really, it's a really effective scene to see Olivia essentially have to kill her best friend. Although it's not her best friend, but it's, it's really effective in that, in that way.
1: Yeah, it is effective in that way. And, you know, I like that they're playing with the dramatic irony that when she's believing Charlie and whatever, we know that she's falling for it. (laughs) and it's frustrating, but their fight is brutal. As she does the headshot and, like, kills him, she's not upset that she had to kill this shapeshifting son of a bitch, but it is that aftermath moment where she realizes that if this was the shapeshifter, then her friend Charlie is dead. So I like that it felt like two different things because she wasn't hesitating to kill this monster, but it's the ramifications afterwards that become apparent, and Anatorv gets to to emote a bit and have a little bit of a cry after getting really beat up and it was just a really nice dynamic because we have known for a few episodes that her friend was dead but she's just finding out so i like that yes we had it and this is all exciting and and crazy but then there's that emotion there brings like a somber tone to the episode but we go from there walter is going for like a booty call (laughs) So I like that Peter gives him the permission to go and he's going to take the bus home. And so Walter is in a good place after this and he's happy and he's getting a little bit more independence. And so I like that we juxtapose Olivia's big fight and the sadness with this kind of moment. But the the kicker, of course, is this thing where Rebecca, the woman who can see people from the other side, looks at Peter and sees the shimmer. And it's like, oh... Shit. Like, we know, we know, but now, like, somebody else also knows. So, we're still just pushing that along further down the road, but we know when this comes out, like, it is going to be a big deal. So, I did appreciate that. And we do see the shapeshifters take that head and reattach it to a body, and it opens its eyes to end the episode. So, Obviously, something something big is going down, but this episode, in specific, really furthered a lot of the mythology, had a lot of exposition, and really ramped up the stakes of the season. I did love, I just want to, I forgot to mention it, but the reason that this episode is called Momentum Deferred is my favorite moment in the William Bell Olivia scene, where he's like, yeah, uh, I'm going to send you back now, but um, I hate to tell you that I pulled you out of a moving car. And momentum can only be deferred. So when you go back, it's going to be this traumatic full speed ahead event, which we have already seen in the premiere. So I did like that that concept, even applying it to the whole two universe things, is there is only so long that you can push off this inevitable momentum. And that is what the show itself is building and just slightly pushing it off, deferring that momentum to get us hooked into the next episode.
0: And on that note, we move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week. The episode is entitled Dream Logic. So, Matt, I have a question. Uh, When you have nightmares, do you wake up? And when you actually wake up and see your family members...
1: Do any of them look like demons to you? I wasn't sure if I was tuning into Fringe or Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the opening scene of this episode. Because it was uh, definitely something supernatural, demon-esque going on. And Dream Logic is a, f- a fine episode, but after the one that we just talked about, is a massive <laughs> disappointment in terms of being Mystery of the Week for the most part, with a little bit of Sam Weiss shape shifting. Carryover thrown in, but most of it has to do with these nightmares that become real, that then people die as a result. We find out that they all had a chip implanted during a sleep study. You know, we visit the doctor who doesn't know how this could be happening, and then the bad guy turns out to be the fucking doctor who was so surprised that any of this was happening. So I think I understand that they needed to to defer the momentum. A little bit. And I did like that the nightmare stuff was cool that, you know, when we're talking about dreams, whether things are real, obviously that's still in the fringe Bishop wheelhouse, but coming off of the excitement and the stakes of last episode to this episode, kind of a dud. And this episode, I start to realize is Amy Jessup gone for good without a word Mentioned and the answer, as it turns out, yes. Marcela, what do you, what did you think of this episode, and what did you think about the fact that we're just gonna sweep an entire character under the rug and just say nobody saw that, right?
0: Um, I thought this episode was very, very mediocre. I really liked the concept of someone siphoning off the endorphins that one's feels in a dream by implanting this uh, by implanting the chip you know in these people and i really like the effects of what happens when you siphon off uh, someone else's dreams and you use the and you use their dreams you know and their electrical impulses to basically get to basically get high i thought that this episode needed a moral center like if the if the doctor like had a wife or something, I sat there going, "This is interesting," but it just needed a little bit more for me. Like that, like, the opening sequence, uh, of which I hinted at and you hinted at, was cool. And then there's this, there's a scene where this woman who is also who is also a victim of this doctor, and she's a cook and she basically is cooking some food, and then she sees a bunch of fingers, and then she goes nuts and she tries to kill everyone. Those scenes are really cool, but those scenes are empty because the story, I felt, didn't have enough weight to it. To move to uh, one of your points, the uh, you know, you know, the FBI agent played by Meghan Markle is gone without any explanation whatsoever, and I was like, "Huh, I guess I'm not going to get a conclusion on that story points that they planted with her," because I really like the fact that she was you know, a Catholic, and she was looking up all this information. And every in every scene that she was looking up information, she had a copy of the Bible next to her. So it would have been really interesting to see her as a Catholic individual, how that would impact her on the cases that they worked on in the future. But for some reason, they just decided to say, nope, this character isn't working, so she's going to be here this week, but next week she'll be gone and we'll never talk about her. Ever again. So I found that to be very, very
1: abrupt, especially a case that opens with a dude seeing everyone as demons. I, I thought that would have been a, an open door. But that, yeah, this case of the week is just, it's fine. We don't actually care that much. <laughs> Even though we know like seemingly innocent people are going to die as a result of this just because they had this sleep operation. But we don't know any of them and we don't particularly need to know any of them. So it doesn't add to the intensity or the stakes. The main thing that kept my interest during this episode is just the side plot where Olivia is working through that grief and Sam gives her a project to try and take her mind off of it. It's that she's supposed to collect business cards from specific people. And so the whole episode, she is asking people for their business card. And I thought that was really interesting that then when she takes the letters that she has to unscramble and she reads it on a notepad and it says, you're going to be fine, which we know is something that Charlie had said to her. So I thought, That was the the shining the shining light of this episode was even when they were doing like, you know, interrogating people. I liked that this Olivia asking for the business card and her working through these steps to try and manage her grief when it comes to Charlie was was interesting. And then the final moment of this episode, because we have spent so much time in this episode talking about dreams, we do see Peter dreaming about an event from his childhood that he does not have a memory of, but it is the night when that universe's Peter was taken by our universe's Walter. So there's a lot still to unpack, and they just tease it a little bit at the end. But for the most part, this was a mystery of the week episode that I didn't particularly care about the mystery. But the episode that we talked about for 20 minutes before this one was so good that I... Give them a pass for this being kind of like the the come down while we're just kind of kicking the tires until we can get to the next big thing. This episode should
0: have been first this week and uh, Momentum Deferred should have been last. God knows why writers or studios put these episodes like this. Well, I blame the writers because they write the show and they decide what comes first and what comes last. So I'm not blaming the writers for this episode. I'm just going, you guys could have done st- a little bit more with this like like again i like the concept but it just really didn't deliver in the way that i wanted it to i thought the scene when olivia was talking to peter about the fact that how her having to shoot the shape shifter that looked like charlie really started to sink in the sink in the fact to her that she's not going to see charlie ever again that he's really dead was a really really well sort of sad moment played by Annator. also i really like the fact that she didn't want to cry in front of peter she sort of just got up and left right away and later on in the episode we see her putting flowers by on the grave of our charlie francis i thought that was particularly affecting and also i really like the final scene of this episode where you just mentioned it where peter is having a dream and that's the night that our walter went into the other universe to to steal you know you know this peter and when you know this peter wakes up walter's right there and walter goes did you have you know a bad dream and peter's like "Uh, i kind of did and walter goes do you remember anything and then the camera just slowly sort of sits on walter for a moment and that's it and i'm starting to think like how much longer do you think walter can keep this groundbreaking secret from peter that he's from
1: somewhere else the way they have been ramping it up we feel like peter has to find out in the first i feel like in the first half of this season so like this episode aired just before halloween the next episodes we'll talk about next week are november sweeps and i think that you know, we're talking like episode 10 would probably be like the the winter finale or whatever. So I'm feeling like something's gotta come out around there. But if they're dividing the season almost in half in their mind, then I would think by the end of like episode 12, I would think that it had to have come out if I was betting. Unless they are gonna keep pushing that down the road, momentum further deferred, and they wanna save it for a, a season finale bombshell. But I feel like the way we've been hitting that it's got to be soon.
0: And on that note, uh, guys, I think that'll do it for this edition of the show. If you like what we do here at all and you want to support us in any way whatsoever, there are a couple ways that you can reach out to us and talk to us if you wish. The first way to do that is by simply just using the hashtag on Twitter, uh, Radio 815, or visiting our personal Twitter account. It's JJUniverse815. If we ever get any questions on there. I will be the one who answers you and who thanks you so much for watching the show because I love our fans. And if you actually want to listen to the show but you don't necessarily have time to subscribe to a podcast feed, we do have our own YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash radio815 every Monday at 815 Eastern Standard Time. Old episodes of our show are uploaded there. So you can go there and subscribe to to there if you don't necessarily want to listen to us on a on a standard podcast service but if you want to talk to me personally the best place to do that is on twitter i'm at creekfanatic 88 but matt if the good folks at home want to talk to you about anything whatsoever what would be the best place for them to reach you on twitter at matt crandall all right guys until next week as i say often we'll talk back soon
1: Radio 815 is a Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer Newt Productions.